I went into school when I was like in year two so that's six or something and right. I was what do you want to be when you're older and and I wanted to be the person that make the dead bodies look pretty <laughs> because I and like and that's like kind to, of what you are to imagine well yeah <laughs> to, to, to imagine a little kid saying that is so like it's quite disturbing like, yeah, like you, yeah, you, you would be, be you that. would yeah. be worried but to me my dad was a film director, so right. that was just normal for me. And I saw that job as being so respectful. Like, you're taking someone's loved one and you're making them look the way that they remember. And you're you're giving them that last moment to be with the person they love. And, you know, if you screw that up, that person's never going to get that moment back. And I just saw it as being such a respectable job. And to be able to give that person that moment, I just thought it was beautiful. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Dexter. Hello Dexter. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) It's going good. Um, And it's interesting, like, I, I always find it a strange moment to sort of start the show right and then mm. i say hello to somebody who i've already said hello to right <laughs> downstairs um, and we're recording this in your bedroom mm-hmm. uh which is cool um i always like recording in places that kind of say something as much about the person as as, as their voice you know, oh like, god it, it, and, you know, this it bedroom says a lot says a lot i won't necessarily <laughs> describe it like that i'll leave that up to you and it's nice of you to welcome me into a, a a particularly intimate space which is the bedroom like often I'm in people's kind of front room but you're in a you're in a shared house yeah. so it was kind of intimacy or the highway really it was the one day when all of my housemates were home <laughs> right 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 but you know it's it's I, I like it and uh, I feel like you know some some of the things that I can see when I'm kind of looking around the room I feel like may may become pertinent to the conversation as we go yeah, along yeah I'm, I'm I've always been one of these people that dresses my room up as me right um because i i love the idea of walking into someone's room and being able to tell things about them without even talking to them and i kind of i've always liked the idea but i'm also terrible at interior design (laughs) so i tend to like think it's a really good idea and then like i bring things home and it doesn't match anything but they just kind of stick around anyway and like when i settle somewhere a bit more permanent i do hope to be that person who just has stuff everywhere <laughs> from one period of my life or another right so. and you're in a shared house at the moment so you you kind of uh, stuck with like the most stuff that kind of expresses yourself being only in one yeah in i'm one slowly slowly creeping downstairs because <laughs> they've been here for two years no for one you know two years now and i only moved in in the summer so uh, things like halloween came and of like me being the the gothic witchy person that I am I dressed the whole window up and we had like an altar full of hearts and we had like in this big chat in that, in that little chalice thing there um, and we had cobwebs all over the window we had a, a pumpkin that was like this fluffy pumpkin that sang the monster mash because I love cheesy stuff as well and we had so it was like half scary half cheesy we had like witches hats and spell books and, and nice. I, I did it on Halloween and they came and there was candles everywhere obviously they came down on Halloween and and they were kind of like 
<laughs> he did it wasn't he wasn't kidding was he when he said he was gonna <laughs> do go out for Halloween and it was up for about five days and then nice. I came home one day and it was all neatly stacked in the corner as the subtle hint well, at least of it was neat. at least Halloween's it was neatly opener. done it was respectfully done oh no it, it was which it is was. nice and I may have it, it outside as well coming <laughs> <laughs> But that will be my house 24-7 when I have Right, 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 right. A kind of the, the whole house will be a gothic experience mm. from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Yeah. Right? When I was a kid, I had this major fancy of having, like, every room in the house a different, like gothic theme so like having one like having like the living room all victorian goth and then having like the bathroom all the summer all like cyber goth and having like a steampunky there and having like a uh like a trad goth with all the black candles and everything wow. and i just had this fantasy it was it was um yeah 16 year old dexter was well who knows quite, <laughs> maybe you know, know. If, you ever, if you ever have a house with i mean it seems and seems in like very strange these days talking about the idea of potentially having a house oh right? yeah no that's, right? i feel uh... that way myself and i'm like you know i'm 36 so you know like in the past i would have def like almost definitely as a kind of middle class person already got a house right? yeah and now it's like i can't even imagine ever owning a house no like it's it, like where i where i come because i come from southampton so like down there it's a lot more uh kind of the idea of you know the convention like what i, what I think is like the or what I guess is the conventional idea of, you know, you go to to do your education, however much that education is, you go to work, you get your house, you yada, yada, yada. It's kind of more of a realistic thing down there, I guess. Right. Whereas, like, in London, of course, like, no it's one has that ideology yeah. at all. <laughs> and, like, so, the, yeah, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? So I know you through Smut Slam. Yeah. And I, so I, I started, but I didn't know you from no I didn't know you from my first lap, Smart Slam because no. I originally got involved with Smart Slam through Cameron doing the Brighton Smart Slam right uh, one of the drag kings from Brighton helps out with the Smart Slam right and they were looking for judges and they knew that I ran one of the longer running alternative underground drag shows at the Carolina Brunswick which is where Smut Slam is happens in Brighton yeah, yeah. I've never actually been to that venue oh much. it's such a cool it venue really it's cool. this rock bar downstairs and it's not particularly big but there's like the three headed guards dog like it's massive at the front of the bar but because when you walk in I think you're always so uh, you don't look up really when you walk into a venue do you and there's loads of bottles and things like that so right. it's, it's a bit distracted but then when you leave the venue you kind of leave by walking round the dog and that's when people notice it wow. and it's like how did I miss this because it's giant it's on the wall it's, it, and it comes out of the wall as well it's huge but you're just like how did I miss the three headed dog when wow. I walked in but everyone does it's really cool because I was the one of the drag queens that started one of the underground nights there, and because some of my performances are a bit more risque, and I talk about, or at least I present in my drag quite a lot of alternative things, which include sex, and also quite like quite a lot of the negative aspects of sex and about self confidence and things like that. So they asked me to judge the smart slam. I had the most amazing time. It was really great, and I worked with Cameron when she came back to do the the fringe in Brighton. Right. Um, and then that's when they were just talking about the fact that there's the London one, and obviously living in London, although most of my drag stuff is in Brighton or the South Coast, that's how I got involved in the London one, and then I met you. Right, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so Cameron approached me to co-produce the London Smart Slam, and, you know, yeah, I've been doing that doing that this year, I guess, since January, and yeah, you came kind of a, a few months in, mm -hmm. and it was cool to me 
straight away because the role you play at the London Smut Slam is that of uh, Bucket Babe, yeah. which is actually like, it's a word that I find, I found quite a complicated one in terms of like thinking about like, so Cameron found the first Bucket Babe that we had um, and then they, like she couldn't always do it. And I was like thinking, can I really approach my friends and say, hey, would you like to be a Bucket Babe? Like, how yeah. is that going to go? Um, and then Cameron was like, I found this great guy, uh, Dexter. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Right. I, that, like, I like that already because it's con- completely subverting this idea of Bucket Babe because yeah. it's a guy already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, she told me a bit more about you and I knew that you, you were a drag queen. So I didn't mm-hmm. know if you were going to kind of come in drag uh, to oh, do the Bucket Babe. Yeah. And you, you'd actually, you'd be very welcome to do it in drag. But I also like it not in drag. Like, like, yeah. like you dressed up, but like a man, mm-hmm. a man dressed up, if yeah. you like. Or, you know, I don't know, words. Man, <laughs> man's quite a kind of locks things down in a way that I don't necessarily think is appropriate. But, I don't think know. it's necessarily me either. Right, 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 right. Fair. Yeah, when I did the the Brighton one, she actually um, because they their their kind of general rule about the the smart slam is that it's just the storytelling, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah. the main focus. You're not allowed your props. You're not allowed your right. cue cards. It's just about being able to present a story, which for like for a drag queen. We rely on so many other things to tell a story other than our voice. And I think to when when I was when I actually sat down and thought about it, because I don't think I really did think about it the first time I went and did it, but when I actually sat down and thought about the difference between doing something doing doing like any of my drag stuff, which I'm really confident with, and then just standing and telling a story, it was like what am I getting myself into? And it sounds so silly, like, to, to be so terrified of just standing there and telling a story. Um, but even when I'm hosting and I'm just talking to the audience, I have the confidence that I get from my costume, from wearing my heels, from being in makeup and right. and, and having that characterization. But then you take that away and it just, it alters your way of thinking. And I think it alters the way that you can present yourself. So that was quite a challenge when I eventually came to... Um, to telling the stories and right. and, and Cameron uh, has has her rule where um, she doesn't want any of the judges to dress up. Right. So even if you are known as being a dressed up performer, um, because she likes the uh, judges to tell stories, she doesn't like them dressing up because it, it intimidates the audience. I think into thinking that they can't do yeah, what we do absolutely. and. At the end of the day, everyone's a storyteller. Well, it's so. a communal experience as well. Like yeah, Cameron, exactly. Cameron also likes the lights to be up on the audience and, there, and, and, yeah. and other things like that that make it, yeah, that take down the barriers between each of us, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, setup she's got, and it's re- it's really great. It, it works, um, but and, it was also very very strange. I t- I turned up the first time because she said she didn't want me to dress up, but I was kind of thinking I can't go to um, to an event as addiction, but not be addiction so I I just I wore a pair of high heels and I dressed kind of um a bit gender fucky and I didn't have much makeup on I just had a little bit of makeup but not not like high drag or anything um and then getting involved with the London smart slam I did like the idea of coming because I've I've always dressed up for it haven't I but I've never I've never dressed up in drag it's always been I'll dress really smart or dress slightly um more risque or I'll dress um kind of a bit more trying to think of an appropriate word 
we definitely, <laughs> definitely dress in ways that like challenge gender c- concepts of gender. Yeah. And you also dress in ways that, sh- that, to me at least as an observer, indicate a kind of influence of goth as well. Like, yeah, they, oh, Both always. of those things are, are there in how you I, present yourself as first line. <laughs> I don't sure. think you can put me in anything in either of my wardrobes without having an element of goth there. I think everything I... Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've I got blue hair, so that like, in itself... Like, <laughs> For now. Very, yeah, at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, I imagine your hair is always a, a, a tell, if you like, yeah, well, it's your either, gothic sensibility. Yeah, it's, it's either ice white or it's blue. Those are my two that I like to go between i've i've had dyed hair since i was 14 wow and i've never i've not had my um, natural hair color go through since wow um so i've been through i think i've been through every every possible color um and the 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 cut's never really been too much of like a drastic but like i've had dreadlocks like uh, my my friends um my uh, friend who's from the Caribbean taught me how to make them. We had a, we had a really nice like a party where we all sat around and she taught us all, and then she like installed us all, and and we all had we all had dreads. It was really cool. It was like a really nice cultural exchange, and um, we had um, I had like shave patches, and I would dye the shave patch. I'd, I'd have like a just black hair, and it was really really plain, and then I'd have like a massive shave triangle in the back, um, like almost like li- literally like brain surgeon esque. Like it, it right. was. Um, it, it was controversial, should we say? <laughs> and then, I, and then the hair that was going through would be dyed like bright pink or something. Right. So it's it's always been it's always been fun. But now I think I've settled on I like ice white and I like blue. That that feels, especially the blue, always feels like going back to my original hair color, like my natural my natural hair color feels like blue. Right. And even my mum would like if if I go home with blue hair, she's like, oh, you're back to blue. As if, like, <laughs> as if I'm coming back home with my natural hair right. and I've decided then, to know, stop dyeing it, you know? Natural in itself is a questionable word anyway, right? Yeah. Like, and and, and I, I like the idea of, of, of us choosing, you know, our hair colour or, like, you know, like, tattoos. There's lots of ways that we can modify our bodies yeah, and definitely. Our, our kind of appearance, which are just as valid as, like, any other natural process. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, so... And one of the things that... that so, yeah, you're the bucket babe which, you know, I expected you to be a kind of interesting person to look at and kind of like to a, a good social person to kind of get people to sign up and you're all of those things. Mm-hmm. But like, like the thing I didn't know before I met you is that you're a, you know, a brilliant storyteller. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> and I, you know, I, 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 I kind of, true storytelling is one of the things I kind of do, I guess. I mean, it's not just that you talk about experiences that quite underrepresented in stories Mm -hmm. because everybody's a bit underrepresented one of the things I like about doing Spark London is that you know everybody's got really a unique experience and Mm -hmm. actually there are loads when when we think about representation we're we're, we're hardly representing anyone Mm -hmm. like I always say about like as as a cis white man like I'm massively overrepresented in the media, and yet there's nobody that has the kind of experiences that I have uh, in popular media either. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, my type is there. So, like, you're talking about stuff that's unusual, but yeah, so is everybody. But, but it's also you—you you do it in a really beautiful way, in like, like a really open way, in a really mm-hmm. inviting way, in a real kind of connecting with an audience way, which is is remarkable, I think. And, and particularly, you know, I don't want to patronise you, but like for someone who is relatively young, you know, mm-hmm. that's it's it's amazing that you've got that voice already you know yeah. like I couldn't have been that open like, <laughs> I, I don't even know if I'm that open now let alone yeah. like when I was younger I, I think it, it, it's a lot of it is to do with especially the the kind of stories that we tell at Smart Slam I've always been 
someone who's really... I enjoy sharing my experiences. I enjoy hearing other people's experiences and taking from them what I can to make my experiences better or to um, to give myself new experiences or to learn and, like, hopefully share my experiences in the in the way that they can do the same as what I'm intending to do. Because, right. um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I just... I think communication exchanges, it's all learning, isn't it? And yeah. it's great to, to develop... Um, whatever you're, whatever you're interested in, and, and but yeah, especially what we what we talk about smart slam is always fun to talk about. But that's funny. I mean, like smart slam is it is a night about sex, uh, and so you know, obviously the stories that you tell and the ones that I've told there as well have been about sex. But the thing is, like, well, I don't things... actually think I've told a single story about sex. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> I, I was going to say sexuality. I guess. Yeah, I talk about sexuality. And a lot, and, and but... one of the things I like about the way that that your choices as a storyteller is you don't go for like the the easy option if you like with sex stories which is like complete gross out or uh-huh. like completely shocking or whatever like you could i, I imagine mm-hmm. like most of us could uh, if we wanted to but you go for like emotional beats you go for yeah. like proper like emotional like you know sometimes kind of wistful or sad or like an, or, you know stories about love mm-hmm. you know that are in this kind of still in the sexuality sort of sex realm and that's that's why you know that I, I love that about it like I I'm always glad you know to have you on the night as well because I think uh people who are read as men like I don't really know about your your how you feel about gender uh-huh. but like people who are read as men are often unfortunately the people who let the side down a little bit uh when talking about sex and sexuality and storytelling like we're very clear um that we want consen- consensual stories but yeah. like there's a number of men out there who don't fully got haven't fully got their head around what consent uh and means and i, I love mm. having you on the lineup because it's like <clears throat> yeah we've got somebody who's being at least read as a man uh like who's who's, who's representing like a different option a yeah. different alternative you know yeah. and especially as a young person as well because young people are the people that who in the media we we kind of like say yeah young people need to learn about consent mm. um whereas Increasingly, I think, no, no, no. Yes, they do. But old people need to learn about <laughs> consent a lot more yeah. because they haven't haven't had the training and cons- at all. consent L- in such so like a such a broad term. Like we, we view consent as such a, a small, simple, um, you know, no means no sort of right. thing. But I think it's also a case of learning the subtle cues of of just when an experience is desired and wanted by both parties. Right. And the the subtle um, there's just a subtle signs that the media exacerbates in our head about, um, like, the thrill of the chase and right, about, exactly. um, you know, the, the classic thing of a guy who sees a woman in a bar and and approaches her after a drink and, and she, like, isn't interested, so he goes at another angle and then he fights for her and then there's this massive plot about how he wants to get her love and right. it's like, but she said no. <laughs> you know, it's li- little things... Um, Little things like that. The whole gendered side of things, I'm, I've am i always said, like, I had a real major struggle with my sexuality growing up. Um, I've had a real major struggle with feeling feminine and being... And be, that, that, that being natural, and that being, that being what I want to be, and, well, not what I want to be, just what I am. Right, um, exactly. And having it being really not accepted from a very, very, very young age, and okay. that was always... And that was always linked to my, my like, my, um, my presentation and my, um, my femininity was always linked to my sexuality. Whereas I think, like, looking back at it now, I'm only now realising that that wasn't anything to do with sexuality. That was 
to do with my gender and to do with my sex. Because right. if I had been like that but a girl, nothing would have been said. Right. It would have been absolutely fine. No one would have assumed of my assumed my sexuality. It, it was literally just my gender presentation wasn't the same as my sex, and that was a really bad thing for a young kids to do. Um, so, but do I, you are you some, sorry to to interrupt okay. you there? But are you somebody who do you feel like you're comfortable with your body, like with the with the way that your body is, but you are read by people in annoying ways? Or, yeah, com- yeah, completely. Like I was always um, like like I said with this, with the struggle with my sexuality as a kid, I was always. It was always kind of like a a bit of a funny, really, really like, I've got a great, I I think I've got a great sense of humour, which has got me for a lot of things, but it's also a really dark sense of humour, just because of the things that I've been through. Um, Um, It's one of like the coping strategies, I think, that I've developed. Um, And one of the really, like, kind of dark jokes that I've always had in my head is, I've always been really surprised I'm having my gender. It's, right. it's a case of like right. my sexuality has taken me on such a horrible, horrible ride through my life, and I've just kind of been like almost surprised that I'm happy with my gender. Right. Like I've, it's ne- it's never really been, and oh, not my sorry, not my gender, my sex. I've I've right. always been happy the the body that I've been born right. in, the the sex that I've been born into. I, I've always been fine with that, and despite the fact that it's always like. The, the, my gender's always been such a, a, a difficult thing um, for other people. Right. I've always been cool with it. Right. <laughs> you know? And I kind of think um, so many people thought that there was, especially when I started doing drag, they thought that there was some um, form of um, struggle with my gender identity and with my, uh, and the, like the idea is, is he kind of transition? Um, but no, I've, I've always been really happy being, I've always been really happy being a boy. Um, I've, I'm not entirely sure how confident I feel about being a man because I feel the, the, the aspect of being a boy has a lot less and I don't know whether it's because we, we assume, assimilate boy with being young and there's a lot less expectations of someone who's young, but I feel like a man is a certain construct and I I really don't fit that construct so I'm a lot happier with being labelled as a boy than a man but I'm also very much that's not something that you can really expect in day-to-day life you know what I mean um and actually there's maybe not this, maybe we check well, I mean you know well yeah I knows? guess with the whole with the, with the whole man thing it, it came up recently actually I was saying that um uh, I don't know whether I'm unhappy with being called a man because of the connot- like like the connotations that I feel with it. Yeah. And would I be feeling better if I was to go down the the they? Um, but, yeah. Right. So kind uh, of define pronouns. yourself as genderqueer. And, yeah. And, and um, be because because the way that that's constructed is much more how I feel. Right. But then I kind of said to myself, but that's still a construction. And although I identify a lot with people who identify as gender fluid or, or gender queer, and those aspects are, are things that I really relate to, I just kind of still sit and, and, and it's that joke, but, but I've never been unhappy with my sex. So why am I letting the fact that everyone else thinks... He's unhappy with I, Yeah, everyone yeah, else yeah, is unhappy yeah. with my own, but I'm happy with it. Right. So why am I going to go down the they route when actually I am happy being known as he, I am happy being known as a boy. I just 
don't want people to get the wrong impression right. when they think of me as a man. <laughs> in a way, you know, that's up to, to, to us and men in general to uh, change what it means to be a man. Yeah. And then we won't feel so uncomfortable being like put into this camp that is not our camp. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I don't. I don't share kind of the challenge or the the or the the reality of having to kind of struggle with a, a sexuality that is socially uh, considered inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But I am somebody who has you know through my school uh, life uh, experienced what it's like to be policed in terms yeah. of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, that has always been a a thing that's kind of frustrated me in that like you know the words that were used about me at school were probably the same words that were used about you at school. Mm -hmm. But when I reacted to those words, um, like I felt I was selling out, you know, your community. (laughs) Like for me to to deny that I'm like, I'm not gay, but like to to say, to to actually need to say it. And I guess it's a similar thing that you're saying. Oh, I've been saying it for years. (laughs) I mean, like to, 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 to like, claim and and it's it's not just gay people as well like women as well like mm-hmm. the other thing that men are kind of called as a woman or like like as a school like i got a lot of yeah, that don't be a pussy yeah, yeah right and it's all like trans people like gay people or women it's and just... the people you're selling out if you can get them off your back yeah exactly and it's, like... it's, it, it's i think it's perfectly acceptable for someone to be upset with the fact that someone's coming for them and the fact that someone feels like they have the power to make them feel like shit but at the same time it, it it's the it's the the battle between this person is feeling terrible because they're being they're clearly being attacked, but also what they're being attacked over shouldn't really be much of like if if you take offense by it then you're giving that word yeah. the meaning that they want it to have and I think I've always had a problem with the word camp because that was like the first thing that I was labeled as right. and that was the first thing it was instilled because everything always came down to whether it was my presentation, whether it was the way that I spoke, whether it was anything, it was always camp. And I hated it for years. And I was I was one of these horrible, horrible, horrible gays that I can't stand now who would just deny anything to do with camp. I didn't want to know camp people. Right. I didn't want to know camp... Uh, I didn't want to peer camp, right. um, despite being a massive musical nerd. Um, <laughs> but even things like, like I would never watch, like, I saw West Side Story as being camp, so I wouldn't ever watch oh, it. Uh, that's, um, yeah. And even now, like, I still haven't, because it, it was instilled in me for such a young age that that was wrong. Right. Um, I hated drag queens. I hated drag queens for so long, because I saw them as being, like, everything I was told not to be as a kid, and... And they were giving... I kind of saw it in a way that, like, maybe my life would have been fine if it wasn't for these drag queens running around, like, and and giving people these this ammunition that they're then throwing at me. Because they're not throwing it at the queens. They're throwing it at the young kids who are... Who, who are growing up and and people see the same sort of things in them and I was like that's it's not fair why are these people not getting ridiculed and and I am and and so I I really couldn't stand drag queens either but then when I moved I think it was really only when I moved to London because I was involved with all the goth scene in Southampton and 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 they were really great and they were really supportive but there also wasn't the the the, the awareness. There, there wasn't the support with the with the gender thing um, in the wider scene, um, of course, because it's very um, there's very gender gender ambiguous right. um, a lot of the time, but it's still it, it still comes down to 
to, to, to that person being gender. Like, there's not actually a lot of diversity within the... Or at least not the one that I experienced. Yeah. Like, my close-knit group of friends were great, and we did a lot of work with, the, like, the Queer Alternative to to do lots of um, awareness about um, gender diversity and sexuality diversity and, and trans awareness and what makes safe spaces. Um, and that was really cool. But when I moved to London, I realised just how much of a problem I had with the femininity side of things still, even though I'd started doing drag by then. And I I noticed that I wouldn't do certain things in drag because I found it too camp. Right. Um, so, like, I, I... I originally started tucking, and then I wouldn't tuck, because I just... I, I saw myself as, like... I'm happy being a, like I'm happy with the, the like, with like my body in that aspect. Yeah. And even when I'm a, when I'm performing, I don't care if I'm wearing a skirt or if I'm wearing a dress, whatever. That's my body. And there's a certain level of of gender uh, playing like like the playing with gender that we that we do in drag. But I don't want it to come out as representing something that I'm not. So, right. um, and then this it it, it started as. Um, no, that's too fun for me. And it ended as being this, like, semi-political um, statement of, of of gender diversity and gender awareness. Well, and, it's and a good statement as well, because, like, not all women have uh, have one kind of body anyway. Yeah, so exactly. It's, exa- it's exa- appropriate that, to yeah, play that a was woman like, and not tuck. Yeah, because yeah, I never... I, like, I've never worn breasts, and I've... I've only just started, um, like, contouring on breasts. Um, right. I mean, but... you do amazing makeup. <laughs> Thank that, you. That's it, that's it. <laughs> but I only started doing that because I wanted to play with makeup. Like, I've, I've still... I never have anything... I, know you, I usually do something around my neck, whether it's, like, um, feathers or whether it's something costumey um, to draw attention away so no one ever really realises that I'm, I don't wear breasts and no one ever really realises I'm a flat-chested queen. Um because of the costumes they just don't see it and then when I point out that I never wear them people are like oh, well, and oh that, yeah you don't and again there are women with bodies but yeah that's, like exa- that. yeah, that's exactly and, what I don't not all women have breasts and similarly and some women have penises and that's absolutely, absolutely fine and there's nothing wrong with and that and some men so, have breasts and, and some men have breasts and the, and the men who have breasts have vaginas, some and, of them will be cis and some of them will be trans yeah right? and, and, and that's great yeah exactly <laughs> you know, and then we, that's, that should be a message that we're, we're promoting but it, it seems to be so so silenced um and then it it kind of like it made me realize when um a lot of my friends and especially the main hub that i go to um in london on on the queer scene um they are so embodied by the aspect of camp and they celebrate it so much um and i kind of i, I realized when it was being thrown at me in every direction and i wasn't noticing it and I kind of thought to myself, when I was a kid, that would have really bugged me. And why doesn't it bug me now? And it it kind of, it, it was the point when I realised that actually, when I'm being called camp, or when we're calling things camp, we're calling things feminine, we're calling things great. We're calling, we're, like, like we're, we're giving it the, pr- we're giving it a praise. Right. We're not using it in an insulting way, because femininity isn't insulting. Right. And femininity isn't weak femininity is powerful femininity is strong and this the the strength that comes from women is amazing like i wouldn't be i probably wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for femininity like i was very like i was pretty much raised by matriarchy um there was there's men all in my family but the women are the ones that make the decisions (laughs) you know the the, the family is held together by all the women in it and all my influential figures in my life are women, whether that be from pop culture, whether that be from my friends, um, you know, 
I grew up surrounded by girls. I didn't really know how to relate to guys. I just, I, I surrounded myself with girls and I've always had my closest friends being girls. And it, it kind of came to the realisation that the whole camp thing is a load of fucking bollocks. And I should have just been happy with being called that as a kid because yeah. that should I shouldn't have given them the power to show them and agree with them that being camp is bad and being feminine is bad. I should right. have just gone, yeah, I'm camp, I'm feminine. That's not a bad thing. That's firstly who I am, and secondly who these amazing people are as well. I feel like um, that's that's that really resonates with how I feel about like definitely my school years. Like I wish that I'd found ways to kind of say, Yeah, I'm glad that, that you're seeing these things in me because I think they're good things. Yeah. And I think the people who have these qualities are good too. Yeah. And like you see that a lot, you know, when you know, I I'm tr- I'm trying to kind of I guess I've been called camp a lot um, too, but I've I've always kind of embraced the idea of camp. I guess because mm. I'm a, a, a straight guy, and so it like it, it doesn't really challenge me in some ways. Like to be to be called camp, you know, I did see that as slightly as a, a badge of honour. But like the, the areas where like I I have got to work on my attitude is definitely around kind of uh, femme women, right? Like yeah. th- th- there is the kind okay. of like. If I was a woman, it would be internalized misogyny, but it's just misogyny, I guess, because I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, of like, of like being like, you know, like more into like tomboyish, if you like, kind of uh, ways of kind of looking at kind of femininity and being like kind of judgmental of like the high femme kind of uh, aspect of of, of of cis women's presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but now, like, I, you know, I can't believe how long it's taken me to kind of like embrace that. Yeah. You know, all of the all of the music I like to listen to now is high femme women right? <laughs> and like, I identify with them as well like I yeah. identify with the words the words express things I've always felt mm-hmm. and I guess similarly to you with camp it's just taken me a little while to get to a point where I could like see the bullshit for what it was yeah like, exactly. and see how yeah celebrating because I feel like femme is is still attacked on every side like mm-hmm. by 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 people who define themselves as feminists quite often by uh-huh. by women by men by 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 everybody in between you know yeah it's it's attacked by straight people it's attacked by gay people right. it's attacked by even like some drag queens even like right. don't like have a have a problem with the you know this is what we do and we dress femme but then we take it off afterwards right you know and and that level of um fluidity between your like your character on stage and your character in real life um and yeah so to and- to have this to have this celebration of femme now is really great and I like it <laughs> but, what, but one thing that's said and I, I don't subscribe to this view uh, although I think it's a complex situation and I think that, that I can see why some people have come to this to this view regardless of not agreeing with them um, some people see kind of drag queens as kind of parodies of mm-hmm. uh, cis womanhood I guess or they're all like you know the, the worst examples of people who don't like drag queens are just kind of coming from transphobia fine yeah but there are also you know trans people as well who feel like kind of uh drag queens are kind of moving into onto their turf yeah as no well. no I, com- I completely see and so where there's that lots of from. complexities about yeah. about that how do you feel about that kind of I, the parody of femininity the, 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 is especially the issue with um that a lot of trans trans people have um my initial thought was always or like my, my initial way of thinking was always um people who identify as, as trans or who are part of um the trans community a lot of time they take um like it's it gender becomes a very serious issue um and rightly so um and and I would never suggest that someone's personal journey with gender shouldn't be 
taken seriously. Right. Um, gender identity is serious, but drag isn't. <laughs> <laughs> drag is... It's mocking the gender construct, and it's mocking the way that people view gender as a whole. Right. We're not mocking your gender. We're not mocking the way that people identify with their gender. We're making a mock, or at least, or, or not even we. I am making a right. mock of my life experiences right. that I've had with gender, and the way that people look at it upon look at gender upon me. Right. Because um, drag's and, a broad church. Yeah, exactly. And there are, of course, you know, at the extreme edges of that, there will be people who are making really toxic drag that is enforcing all kinds exactly. of stereotypes. And then there's you know, people on the other side who are making drag that almost doesn't even seem like drag. No, know? exactly. So it's... it's, it's um, I, I, and I've always, like, especially with the drag, I never really took the traditional roles from drag. It was always really... Um, like one of my biggest drag inspirations is the League of Gentlemen, right? Because I I I love that show so much, and I love the um their mock with gender. But even though I look back now, and I'm like, there is some very transphobic things in that. There is, <laughs> and, unfortunately, yeah. And I like it's, the League of Gentlemen too, but it is less, yeah, less it's, easy to watch. It's now. yes, and I when I was a kid watching it, and 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 another thing I loved as a kid, and now I look back and I think, how did I watch that? Um is Little Britain. Right. I loved Little Britain growing up, and now looking back at it, I think, holy hell. I like, mean, how did they get away with it, firstly? I hate Little Britain. It's transphobic, yeah. it's racist, it's, it's sexist, racist. it's... And, and, I, and I look at that, and, and then I think, yeah, they're making a mock of it. They're, 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 they're also making a mock of gender. But they're, I don't think they're mocking the construct so much. I think they're making a mock of the subject, which is what is wrong, I think. Right. Um, whereas I'm I like to, to almost mock the, the, the construct. And in in a subtle way, you know, in in a in a very um in a this is the initial thought, but what you actually see on stage is like the, the how that how that mockery and how the the you know it starts in the mockery and it, it then goes through like a process of the coping mechanisms that I've 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 put up against myself and then you start to mix the arts in with it and then what comes out of it at the end it, and then like all the characterizations and, and the journey that addiction's been through and then what comes out of it at the end is my drag um, so I think so yeah and I should say that's the name of your character right? yeah Count Addiction <laughs> <laughs> or Addiction for short because Count is a title that anyone who calls me Count uh, <laughs> is problematic <laughs> Gender segregated toilets. I've got a massive problem with gender segregated toilets, and more so a problem with um, staff enforcing that gender seg- segregation. I've always think it's if you if you have a male toilet and you have a female toilets, then that's great. But if you don't have any other option, then let people decide what toilet they make them feel comfortable in. I've I've had this problem with years ago. With I, I was thrown out of um, of a bar for using the women's toilets um, when I was in. I, I was dressed up very flamboyantly. Um, I had all my makeup on, um, and I didn't feel particularly. I was I was actually right. on a work night out, um, and I didn't particularly feel safe in the place I was anyway. So right. we would all go as a group, all the girls to the toilet together, as lots of groups of girls do. 
um, and, and we would all go and that was fine. And then at one point of the night I went to the toilet on my own and of course throughout the whole night I'd been going to the female toilets because I just, the idea of going into the male toilets in this particular place that we were, because it wasn't a particularly accepting area, um, as I soon found out, um, <laughs> and I knew beforehand anyway, and the idea of going there on my own, and, you know, I could just see that typical horror story of opening the door and having someone come in, and then God knows what happening. Right. Um, and it was generally a scary thing. Um, but, and again, this is a case of, you know, and I, I had had a drink, so I didn't really think this through properly. And I went to the toilet on my own, rather than going to the toilet with a group of girls. And they, uh, this one woman, threw so much harassment at me and just had calling me sick and calling me this and calling me that. And I just, I just, I was like, I just want to pee. <laughs> like, I want to just use the bathroom and then leave. Um, but she was calling me a pervert and stuff. And I was kind of like, it was almost like, finally someone sees that I'm a man but it was at the <laughs> wrong time for them to do so right. <laughs> um, right. and like, like experience yeah and I kind of had the whole uh, um, you know at the end of the day it, you know it's her right to feel safe as much as you know I like at that moment I was in her space um, well and but you know I was kicked out of the club and or kicked out of the bar and um and it was one of those things of, but you didn't have a gender neutral, and I didn't feel safe in the men's. Well, and of so, course you didn't, right? Yeah. That's the thing that I think, you know, is, is often forgotten with all of this these bathroom debates, if we want to call them debates. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if I call them debates. But, but like, <laughs> I think they're very one-sided Yeah, debates. exactly. It's <laughs> that, you know, like a, a trans person or a, a drag queen or a, a person who's dressed flamboyantly in, in the women's toilets is safer than in the men's toilets, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Like I feel unsafe in men's toilets full stop all the time. And that's not because yeah. I'm homophobic uh, and, and I'm afraid of like being assaulted by men, although that's possible, of course. It, the reason I'm afraid is because I'm afraid of being beaten up by men. Yeah, exactly. Just like by, by, because they're homophobic yeah. and they read me differently. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly the, the longer my hair gets, the more I get red in different ways. You know, I've got purple glasses, etc. Like, I, I always think about having purple glasses. Like, it's absurd that something so small is actually transgressive. Yeah, and like, people it's, it's can feel so tiny. personally insulted I know, by it. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah, and, I, I yeah. don't think there's a right or a wrong answer though, no. for, which is the, like one of the things that we were trying to, we, we did was was the whole, like every case is different and everyone yeah, everyone right. should deserve the right to feel safe and if you can, you can work that great and if not, then you kind of need to think about the different, the different strategies that we can go down. Right. Um, but yeah, because you have the, I completely understand the argument of like that person didn't feel safe because I was in their space and but it was like well okay well where was where was the space that I could have gone to then and some people got rid and they were just like you should not feel so um pathetic that you can't go in that and and that's ridiculous and 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 oh just all this all this horrible stuff ultimately i think if everywhere had cubicles we'd just be all right oh my god yeah that's a safe that's a safe space where you're on your own yeah i can't i mean i am very scared of of going to the toilet in in public Mm. spaces i mean which you know and i think i don't think i'm alone like in terms of my demographic like i think there's a lot of kind of cis straight men who are terribly afraid of going to the to, mm-hmm. to, to public toilets i mean i don't know because men don't talk <laughs> uh, so, so like, i can't prove necessarily my my thesis mm-hmm. but i think and and certainly i'm sure gay men doubly feel scared and black men mm-hmm. triply feel scared and like you know we, we can just keep on the intersections and yeah and and it's it's interesting that like these places that are supposed to be kind of personal, private, safe, um, like 
are such kind of I don't know spaces of like anger and mm-hmm. like resentment when yeah. when all we basically want to do is is go to the loo. Yeah, like just pee. <laughs> <laughs> I think like the gender neutral toilets to me are like a godsend. Like whenever there's anywhere, like, I will I will specifically remember a place and suggest places that have gender neutral toilets because right. like that's how much of an impact I think it makes to people. Um, it just solves so many problems and and everyone has gender neutral toilets in their own home. That's right. And we, all and we to, don't struggle we with use, that. Yeah, we all use so gender neutral toilets. Why that's do guaranteed. we struggle so much? In, in I massively approve of gender neutral toilets, like solidly, but. And I'm a little bit less afraid of being beaten up in a gender neutral toilet than I am in a in a in a uni in a men's toilet. But um, I am also really super aware when I do go into a gender neutral toilet that I could be easily misinterpreted by any woman that's in there. Mm-hmm. Certainly not the majority of men, but a lot of men are very you know worried to 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 look safe, to mm-hmm. not be the threatening presence, and it's all the the negative stuff around us that kind of puts us into these boxes like the binary way we see gender means it is quite hard to go into a gender neutral uh yeah gender neutral space initially for people Mm -hmm. i mean it 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 doesn't take long no i think i think that the it doesn't take long to break down that construct that we put up um which to me says it's worth investing definitely in. worth um but it's it's just one of those things and, and like, it is happening there are there are places and it's not just queer places you know there are places that are starting to do gender neutral absolutely um you know um i always feel because like originally what we always used to say is you know if you're concerned about your safety use the disabled bathroom because it's just and i used to do it all the time because it's just an easier way to stay safe yourself but also to keep other people safe Right. Um, and to keep them feeling safe. If if you're going to be the one that um, intimidates someone else, um, it keeps both of you safe. Just to right. use, use But then I kind of felt, but these this is not my space. Right. Well, and, and now, I, right. yeah, what am I doing for for the, for disabled? Uh, no, is is this an ableist decision? Am I saying, well, actually, my priorities are more important than yours? And it kind of was like, no, that's not right. I sh- I shouldn't be taking this for this fun. And I've worked. Um, within social care for for years now, for this, the only, it's the only thing I've really like done professionally. Right. Um, that's actually the, the second question. <laughs> the second question that I ask everybody, which is coming quite late, but I always like it when that happens, uh, is you know what do you do now? And you've kind of like started to touch on that again. Yeah. Social care. Um, yeah, it's, I've, I've always done social care, and 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 I know the importance of having it's it's not always um having the the equipment that the, like the, the grab rails like grab rails are really important and everything and 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 the the dynamic of the physical setup of a toilet is right. important for so many people and i completely um would never suggest that that's not the case but i know that like especially well for for the people that i've always worked with um the quick access right. to one um, the space in one, the fact that it's so big, the fact that you may need to have people go into it with you, um, so the you know, not not just the, the the space to fit the people, but also the space to to be able to manoeuvre around and to be able to um, to be able to work, uh, like not to go into a few finer details, but you know right, what I no, mean. No. Um, so I, I it, it was like, oh, I don't want to take this away from them. Um, so it's yeah, gender neutral bathrooms, woo. That would I mean, solve it's, it's, a, it's <laughs> an interesting society where we're like we. We've got so few kind of places that we feel safe that, like all of the marginalised people are fighting for the same same toilet space that where they'll be free. Like I definitely think that like uh, I've thought that quite a few times. I know lots of people with mental health issues or whatever who have utilised 
uh, kind of disabled toilets as, as places to escape, mm-hmm. you know. And it's interesting, it is interesting that, that even though I, I think ultimately, if you're in the moment, do what you need to to keep yourself safe. It is this issue of like we're we're all kind of competing for one small bit of space. Where in fact we the world should be safe. Mm-hmm. Like we should be making every toilet feel safe. Yeah, uh, and then that wouldn't happen. Count and count addiction and your drag. It is about gender, but it's also about like goth and horror and that sort of yeah. influence, right? Well, You've taken those two things and kind of yeah. mixed them together. Interestingly enough, a lot of people see me as a horror queen. A lot of people see me as... Um, I, I mean, my, my look, is I, my face is always white. Um, I, ver- I, I, I very rarely use any makeup which isn't white or black, um, which I get mocked for all the time, and I kind of think, well, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, if you find it amusing, then that's great. I... I I, I guess that's one of those things that I actually take quite seriously. Right. Like the conscious decision to have a black and white face is is a fairly serious um, and, and very conscious decision of mine. Right. Um, and other people make a mock of it, but I'm well. It's drag. It's there to be made fun of. If you're enjoying it, then that's that's that. Um, but I, it always makes me laugh because I have like two horror acts in everything that I do. There's only actually two that are horrific. Um, I very rarely use bloods. I've got much more of affiliation with vomit than blood, um, <laughs> because it, like like blood's blood's done loads, and and it's great, yeah, and it, it's, it, it, it's a nice little tool. But I would much rather be. I was really heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by bands like Doe and Grey, which is this amazing um, Japanese band that uh, was part of the visual key scene, and it like they are visual arts, like they are the embodiment of visual art through makeup, through hair, through their costumes, and so goddamn feminine as well, and it's great, and I, I think all but one are, are cisgendered, um, and I think one of them is uh, a trans woman. But they all, when they were doing their visual key thing, um, they were all dressed feminine or gender fucked um and it was beautiful it was so beautiful um but they were grotesque they were disgusting i think they they looked scary in the way that that goths can appear scary but they weren't goth they were uh, they wore a lot of color they um but they were always there was something macabre about them that you could always see and then in their performances despite the fact they were all so beautiful they were disturbing and they were like I said, grotesque, and I had a, I had a very much an affiliation with this grotesque side of things. You know, to to look at the lead singer Cure um, on the Japanese equivalent of Top of the Pops, nonetheless, do do the performance of a song called Zan and have these people um, hanging from their feet from the stage, all bandaged up, um, completely head to turn bandages, and then halfway through the song they start twitching. And then by the end, when the song's having the breakdown, they are like throwing themselves, and because they're on chains, they're swinging wow. and and they're they're, they're like having having seizures almost. And and the lead singer like vomits. Um, and just to see this level of beauty destroyed, but it's also kind of beautiful. Um, and like that grotesque element is really inspired for it. Like the addiction is really inspired by that. Um, and I guess. Like the like the UK equivalent is kind of like Marilyn Manson, but and but this was just so much more for me, um, right? And I guess you can tell because I'm talking about hands quite a lot right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, when did you, when did you get into that band? So that was um, when I was about fifteen. 
15, I think, right. or maybe 16. Maybe 16. I think it was about 16. Um, so it was when I, it was when I first started to move away from rock music and metal to cabaret. Right. Um, and to make that transition between, um, liking, or I, I mean, I still, one of my favorite bands is Evanescence and they were, they were one of, they were the first bands that were really on my radar as a kid. Um, and fronted by the gorgeous Amy Lee, um, and I always just loved her. Um, and I think, uh, as a as a kid, like you know, when you when you look back on things and you think like you idolize someone, or like you you had these feelings and you process them one way, but now you look back on them, knowing yourself a lot more, you realize that you actually were process you process you were processing them the wrong way, and actually the, they they were they were. And I I I just wish I was her. I think right. I think that's why I idolized her so much because I just found her being so so beautiful and, and 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 powerful and feminine and strong, but in such an aggressive way, um, and in such a beautiful way still. And I then moved on to to less beautiful, much more aggressive females like um Arch Enemy, um Otep, Opeth. There's 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 Otep and Opeth. O, uh, one of them is a uh, all men and um not my cup of tea as such. Um I think it's Otep who again, female fronted singer. Uh, Arch Enemy was all scream. There was no singing, it was just screaming. Right. Um which was great for a fourteen year old yeah, MC yeah. like That's kid. Um, and to have a woman doing it. Oh, what a time of my life <laughs> when I discovered that. It was amazing. Um, and then it went to Opeth, who was a bit more she sung, she screamed, she was angry, she was uh, she she had some really um interesting points to her music. And I think that was probably when I realised that music can come from... Like, it was when I first was aware, like, music can come from personal pain. Because I think a lot of the music on in, in the pop charts, especially when I was, like, like growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, um, and being a kid then, um, it was all just generic, manufactured, and and anyone who had a story to tell wasn't telling their own story. Um, and it wasn't very believable as a child, I don't think. Uh, music was just music. It wasn't stories. Whereas now I look back, um, and, like, and especially from that point when I started listening to these people talk about their own stories through music and really identified with that. Um, I then found what is now my, my favourite band, have always been my favourite band. Um, there is things littered all through this room to um, odes to her, who is Amanda Palmer, who's just right. there. <clears throat> I noticed um, Amanda Palmer <laughs> on your wall when I came in. Yeah, Amanda Palmer and the Dresden Dolls um, were a significant change in my life. Um, when that I... makes sense if you were moving to Cabaret, because that's like, I, I, like, I, like the, I like the Dresden Dolls yeah. too. Uh, I've, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I I like Amanda Palmer a lot, but like you know, all of all of my faves, she can be uh, problematic too. Oh at yeah, times. she she is uh, she was probably one of the most very... problematic artists. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think it. I don't some think of her stuff's deserved, amazing. But, like, yeah, as well. Like, um, I think. Yeah, she 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 she's definitely got a rap for being problematic. Um, but I think a lot of people who say that she's problematic don't look at the whole picture. Um, they see one element of something and they go, that's wrong! And, and and they really hammer down on it because it's so easy to look at something from such afar and say that, and you know, that that's not right. Um, but having... 
I mean, we're, we're talking, we're, we're, if, if we're not already there, then we're at 40 plus um, times that I've seen her. Um, in fact, wow. we're probably closer to over 50 now. I think one of the the things that still holds her in the cabaret element is that she hosts her own show. Yeah. Um, you know, she doesn't just go on stage and play and play and play and play and play. She will tell, she will do a, a you know, she'll play a piano, she'll tell a story, she'll then play the story on the piano that the, the, of the story she just told, she'll explain things, she'll have a chat, she'll justify why she's doing things and she'll really take you on a journey through her shows. Like, her shows are so magical. Um... Uh, I saw her last Thursday, uh, the Thursday just gone actually, um, in the Union Chapel, and just like almost while I'm sat there thinking, do you know what? I think I'm probably it's not going to be as magical now. Um, you know, I've seen her do like the time warp with Richard O'Brien in right in front of me, <laughs> and from the, I was like, nothing is going to beat this moment now. Every like this this moment is incredible, but Amanda Giggs are ruins now because she's never going to top this. And every time I see her, she still just makes me feel like this is not only what I want to do, but this is why I want to do it. And she, she reminds me of that, but, um, yeah, that's just, to be able to have that justification of the, and she's not, she's not, um, she's definitely um, not the worst in, at all. In terms no. Of and, and she, she doesn't, she doesn't either. just They're go, Oh, these people think this of me. So whatever, you know, she, she, she goes into why, well, you know, yeah. and, 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 and she, she justifies what she does. And I think, I think she does it very well. A lot of people don't, and at the end of the day, that's neither here nor there. She's constantly but... experimenting, though, as well. Like, that's yeah. one of the things. Like, there, there are, there are, you know, I can, I can uh, pick out whatever certain kind of problematic moments or whatever. But the the real thing I'm always amazed by what she does is that she's always trying new things. Mm-hmm. She's constantly kind of like experimenting with the relationship between the audience and the artist, yeah, and all of these really definitely. exciting things. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, she she wrote that. Uh, the first orgasm like mm-hmm. so i there's nothing that that song is a, a one of the most perfect songs i can you know that, that exists in my view so yeah. like you know when someone creates something as good as that you think like men who create great art right they do much worse things than amanda palmer yeah people, <laughs> but people because she's say, a woman we yeah, can hammer like, home at her exactly because she's feminine and therefore she's right, wrong right, right. And, and, and 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 we because she's feminine we're allowed to attack her right um, it's an interesting it's and definitely yeah, true there's so many men out there who like direct anger at them because they just and she she's <laughs> i mean it's so many of her songs that they're moment have references to trump or um uh who was she she did a performance of missed me on thursday and she referenced um who was the 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 recent um director who was accused of um Uh, brett ratner or harvey weinstein harvey weinstein yeah oh producer sorry my apologies (laughs) um she um yeah she referenced she you know she, she she took the song missed me which is obviously a really intense, powerful, um, completely fucked up song. Um, when you when you look into it, and 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 she she made it current, and it's a very old song from her, but she it, it was kind of like these are this is still happening, and it's happening out in the open now. And so I, you know, she she is ta- she is tackling um, or, or res- responding yeah um, to, to to current issues and and to to things that. And also, I mean, I get why like she was a beacon to you in that musical moment because you're right. There was like there's nothing happening at that time in lots of ways. Mm. Music, like in terms of like really powerful music, and I think, you know, I think that she got that. I I, I totally understand why she would be a beacon to you personally. Mm. So like, 
okay, so you, you kind of folded in kind of goth and into your drag uh, eventually. I mean, so you like growing up in Southampton, I guess, and you were, you were already kind of othered, if you like, because people thought you were gay, at least, even if you hadn't come to that conclusion yourself. I don't know when that mm-hmm. conclusion came for you. I, I still, um, I actually don't identify as gay. Oh, right. So, um, I'm so, sorry. I, no, 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 it's fine. Um, I, I have... I don't have much of a problem with being identified as it anymore. Right. Um, I used to be so quick to jump in and be like, "No, I'm not." Okay. Um, but now it's like again with the with the with the camp of feminine. I don't have a problem with being viewed as being gay. Um, that's fine. Um, it it just comes down to like now when it's like, well, actually, I'm not. Um, so how, how do you I, define? I, I identify as being pan. Yeah. I I tend to be attracted to. I mean, um, I'm, I'm invisibilizing you right there. So you absolutely <laughs> should jump in. I yeah, mean, uh, well, I, I identify as Pam because it, it, it generally... I don't I don't care what is in someone's trousers. If they are attractive to me, then they're attractive. And, and, and that's great. And, and I, um, I don't think I could ever deny myself falling in love with someone because of something so silly as... A sex or gender, right? You know, and I've felt love in so many different ways for so many different people of so many different, well, ju- yeah, just so many different people, right? Um, of 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 different everything. So the idea of of just saying no, I like men. It's just a concept I'm not really comfortable with, right? And as we've said, you know, what is a man anyway? Exactly, exactly. So, so okay, so you, so being seen as gay but being pan, then you kind of got into goth, mm-hmm. like because goths are kind of non-normative anyway yeah. like that is a I didn't make things easy for myself no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was the son of a funeral director which kind of was wow. a bit odd anyway because I went into school when I was like in year two so that's what um like six or something and right. it was what do you want to be when you're older and and I wanted to be the person that make the dead bodies look pretty <laughs> because I and like and that's like kind to, of what you are to imagine well yeah <laughs> to, to, to imagine a little kid saying that is so like it's quite disturbing like, yeah, like you you would, would be you would that, be yeah. worried um but to me my dad was a film director, so right. that was just normal for me. And I saw that job as being so respectful. Like, you're taking someone's loved one and you're making them look the way that they remember. And you're you're giving them that last moment to be with the person they love. And, you know, if you screw that up, that is... You, that person's never going to get the moment back. And I just saw it as being such a respectable job. And and to be able to give that person that moment, I just thought it was beautiful. And that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to install that feeling of love back in 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 the in the the, the relatives loved ones and um and so to me it was just such a normal um right. a normal lovely occupation and not really thinking through the the process of what you're actually doing uh, and so so the, like that was like the start of it and then like when i was 8 um the 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 bullying for being um feminine and and being labeled as gay not it didn't just start but escalated so heavily um and then by the time i was um in secondary school so that's what that was 2000 and i'm not giving away my age um, <laughs> that that's like 11 um you know it was horrific and i had already been looking at different schools to move to because it was getting so bad um but it was like well, when i move to my next school it will be fine it wasn't fine right. <laughs> um and I think, and that's when I started, um, I, 
not even not even identifying, but just I, I like fell into the the alternative scene because I found I found the music a lot. My friends were really into like anime and manga and and um, and Japanese thing uh, like Japanese elements of, of of culture, and I was. I was really fascinated by language, so like I was learning Chinese when I was eleven, and and it didn't. It, I spent four years learning, and I learned very little because right. I just I found it so difficult. But I loved, um, like Asian culture, right? Um, and and the fact I had I had a real fascination with it. Um, spent a lot of time in the library researching um like elements of Chinese and Japanese culture, and then. I found some other people who were very similar in that aspect, and there was this one uh, female who was really aggressive and and she was very like typical gothy um very uh like visually inspired by like Neil Gaiman and um uh, and had the had the red hair the black and red hair and the purple hair and 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 the yeah and I was really fascinated by her and eventually um found like my little click and they I mean they, a lot of them had elements of 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 goth and alternative and and we all liked like rock music and things, um, but there was also there was also a lot of lightheartedness behind it, and it right. wasn't actually like a group of of goths. It, it was a group of misfits and some people right. who were just like falling down the cracks. Right, right, um, right. We right. hang out in the library. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it was it was yeah. We 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 hang out on the internet and right. we hang out in the library. Right, right. Like that that was that was us. Um, anywhere there, there was an internet connection, you know, or you books. Know, that is what the internet has given us. And a, a way of finding like-minded people. Yeah, and thank I'm, God. Yeah, I know. Because it can be, you know, it can. And be it's bleak. so much better now to find like-minded people. It's so much easier. Yeah. I, I would have to troll through forums to try and find my space. And I wish I'd done that earlier. I wish I'd known how to find. I mean, I when I started liking the Dresden Dolls, there was only one other person in my no tell like there was only two other people in my school who I knew liked them. I'm sure there was more, but there was only two that liked them. And one was a very close friend, Jess, who I knew from a very young age, but it was, like, my mum's friends who, like, they knew each other in the playground. So we knew of each other, but we never really knew each other until one day I rode past her on the way to school. And I was like, hi. And, and she's like, hi, how are you? And I was like, my nan just died. And she was like, oh, um, how are your family taking it? And that spawned, like, when we just got chatting, wow. and that spawned, like, the most amazing, one of the, one wow. of the greatest friendships I've, I've had as a kid. From just me going, I actually need help right now. Um, I'm going to start talking to you. And and she liked the Dresden Dolls as well. And she was, again, very heavily with the, with the whole goth thing. And uh, my, my dad was really into... Um, uh, things like Kate Bush and Bjork and experimental music, right, but also good. things like that's how I was exposed to things like Depeche Mode and she right. and The Cure and like right, 80s okay. rock, yeah, yeah. and she was really inspired by that too. So we had like our like Dress and Dolls, The Cure, Depeche Mode, we Susan the Banshees, we wow. we, we had yeah. that that bond. Um, and then eventually going through through college, um, I found more of the more cabaret side of things that started with bands like Mind and Self Indulgence, who were very like punk cabaret but in a very different way to Amanda um they definitely like had a a, a show they they put on a show and um I used to take different elements when I when I started going to see Amanda I would start dressing up 
And looking back on the outfits that I st- like, I wore back then, I was like, oh, that's not dressing up at all. Like, I can't believe I thought that was what dressing up was back then. Like, <laughs> the first time I saw, I had really nice hair, but I was just wearing a t-shirt and I think like some stripy trousers, probably some platform shoes because that's what I'm usually seen in. And I thought that was dressing up. So I know, heavily. but it's that's the thing. It's like it's like with purple glasses, you, getting to like really expressing yourself. Yeah. It's like really small steps in this mm. blooming like society that keeps everything so locked down. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I was on, and I, the, when I, the, I mean, this is when I was 19, maybe. Yeah, it must have been, I don't think I was 18. It was the first time going to see Amanda. I'd been admiring her all these years. I had missed out on seeing the Dresden Dolls at my first ever festival. The first ever one I went to, I wasn't allowed to leave my uncle's side. And I was taken to go see Pearl Jam, which is one of his all-time favourite bands, and I can't stand them. <laughs> um, and I look, I looked back through the um, programme um, at one point, um, and I realised that at the same time Pearl Jam oh, no. were on main stage, the Dresden Dolls were playing the Radio 1 stage, of all things. Yeah. But they were playing Radio 1 stage, and I just remember thinking, because I still to this day have never seen the Dresden Dolls live, and it's one of my greatest desires to do. And I remember looking back just thinking... Oh, I could have, I could have seen them, but um. So I, w- I was about nineteen. I went to Brighton on my own to go and see her. Um, I booked a room in a hostel. I'd never stayed in a hostel before. I'd never been to Brighton before. Wow. I was on the train. I was so excited, and I don't know why, but I. It must have been because an announcement came on or something. But I took my headphones out because I, I, I'd walked through the carriage and I'd seen two people dressed up gothy, and I was like sitting near them because they are my people and 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 this will be this will be good and there must have been an announcement so i took my headphones out and i just remember them saying roundhouse and that was the venue amanda was playing in i went around to them i was like are you going to see amanda palmer and they said yes and i was like, oh god so am i and like instantly we made this friendship and it was the first of a long and i mean a long line of people who I consider to be like my Amanda Palmer family who just, we bond with so well and we have this great connection because of Amanda, because of the cabaret world. Right. And I, you know, I went, we, we got off the train at Brighton and someone immediately wanted to take our photo because we were all, I mean, they were dressed up, actually dressed up beautifully. They, they look great, but I, I don't think I was, I mean, I had my colourful hair and things, so I'm sure I looked fine. You're just, you've just but, got, um, a, you're, you're giving yourself, like, harsh marks. <laughs> like, it's just because I know what I'm like what now, you, so, like, now, looking yeah. back, like, thinking that I was dressed up and I was wearing a t-shirt, like, eh. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, this is one picture of me, and it's, it's a photo of Amanda signing my CD, and you, it's the back of me. You can't see the front of me, and I'm covered in sweat, and it's gross. But what you can see is my cheekbones, because I'm <laughs> smiling so much having met her. And we were we were sat in the queue for me, me and these and these two friends of mine were sat in the queue for hours, and we were just talking about our lives and talking about Amanda. And and someone came with ukuleles. We started singing songs, and then someone was doing writing some poetry. One person was drawing. One person came, and they had a fork wrapped around their wrist. And I thought that's so cool and they <laughs> coloured it in decorated I was really creative and I did the same with spoons then um, and I would bend them in the way that the dip was sitting away from me and then I would draw pictures in it and um, and I would I would use um, felt tips that I could rub it out and then draw other pictures in um, and it was like a little colouring board on my wrist wow um, that's really nice um, and idea. it just was like it was this massive exchange just through queuing right. of like art and, and culture and, and it was so much fun um, and we ended up, it was me, um, Jack and Amber, uh, who were the two that I met on the train, um, two backpackers from Australia, um, 
and we sat under the pier in Brighton after the show, drinking really cheap, nasty booze. Um, and they had a guitar and a ukulele, we had a ukulele, and we were just singing all these Amanda Palmer songs under Brighton Pier, and it was like, oh, this is what I wanted my life to be. <laughs> like, I should have been doing this years ago. Um, and from there, we went. I just went on this whirlwind of every time Amanda played in the UK, I would book tickets to, and I then met who I who we, we call each other, like, the Grand Theft Ukulele Circus, because Amanda Palmer's band that we were, t- uh, we were following at the time was the Grand Theft Orchestra. Right. Um, so we, we like we would meet people in the queue, and we would queue for like twelve hours. Wow. Um, not because we wanted to be at the front, which we always were, um, <laughs> but because the uh, friendships you made in the queue and the fun we had in the queue was amazing. We went to this one gig at the Roundhouse, and we had. Um, so many ukuleles, so many people playing, and we would have people sing up and sing songs on their own, or sing, uh, stand up and, and, and lead everyone to sing a song, or we would have people doing poetry, or we would have people face paint, and they would bring their face paints with them right. and paint everyone. And we had one person bring henna tattoos, and we would give everyone henna tattoos, and no one would give themselves it, it would always be some, some, someone giving someone else, and then they would give someone else, and, they, and it was, it was just beautiful and I think it's it doesn't sound like much it does sound but to like be a lot. there was incredible and uh and we we would we it just became this group of us that would that would go to all the shows and eventually we decided to go to Europe to see her wow. and um we went to Brussels and we went to we went no we went to Kine and we went to Brussels and that was after doing all the UK tour and um and by that point we'd got to know like Amanda knew who we were um the whole band knew knew who we are because we were at the front all the time, um, and and I, I it was through the the meeting of my friends and the different uh, ways that we um, responded to art and the different ways that we responded to, and the, the different creativity tendencies that we had. I was always really into dressing up. My friend Cookie is amazing at just... She she has this way of just connecting with people. You cannot take her anywhere without her bumping into someone she knows, making friends with someone, and, like, you have to factor in extra time when you're with her and you're walking anywhere because you know she's gonna either meet friends or make friends <laughs> and if we're in Brighton and we're meeting her anyway you have to tell her like half an hour before because if she's going to walk somewhere like she's going to bump into people and she's going to have a chat and <laughs> it, it's 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 great but also a nightmare but like the right, way right, she right. connects with people she just has such uh, such a warmth about her um and like she invited all of us to her place in Brighton which was incredible like she had this uh, she had this 70s retro bar at her and it wasn't a mini bar it was a full bar in her living room and it even had this mannequin which was like the bartender (laughs) and she used to dress her up and she was she's amazing she's an amazing person um but yeah we all we all had this way of looking at things and we uh, had all the different support acts along the way um form like this idea in my head of like what cabaret is and how to respond to cabaret and, and so i met i met this one girl who told me about joe black and I went to to meet him in Portsmouth when he did a he did a spontaneous show with Voltaire. And Voltaire apparently they had some days off on their tour, and Voltaire was like, "Show me where you used to live. Like, show me where you grew up." So he took him to Portsmouth, and they did a gig in the basement of a comic book store. And I went. I I'd, I'd finished making an outfit 
to go and see them and I tweeted him like oh I'm sewing hopefully I'll finish my outfit in time and I turned up I was wearing like a corset and a shirt with a cravat and these big massive trousers which I still have I wear them all the time actually um they're like these giant pants um they're 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 like Thai fisherman pants I think but they're pinstripes they're really really gothy and platform shoes and I remember just walking down the street and Joe like talking to his friends and him going think that's the guy that tweeted me earlier sort of thing and he was like hi oh what 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 part of your outfit did you make it looks really good and and we had this we had this like instant like just lovely connection a lovely interaction um and it turned out being like five people in the basement of this comic book store and there wasn't enough electricity there was enough like plug sockets they had to choose between like a light and the amp and it just made the it was such a raw gig and at one point joe at one point this child came in um, with his, with their, with their, with their parent, um, and clearly the parent was there to see the show. The child was far too young, and Joe just had to stop because none of his material is children friendly. Um, and Voltaire, Voltaire was playing, and again, it was the, it wasn't just the playing of the music, but it was the connecting with the audience. Right. And I was like, that's what cabaret is. It's that connection that you make. I think personally it's it's not just the show and it's not just the glitz and it's it's not the the multidimensional aspect of it it's the connecting right and the the creating this environment rather right, than absolutely. just playing music and it was it was one of the first times people oh are you playing here too and I was right. like no I just dressed up right 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 and it happened again and again and again and the more I went to manor concerts the more I dressed up like it was people always assumed I was with the band or they always assumed I was one of the support acts um and it was kind of one of those things where I was like I'm dressing like the person I want to be as opposed to being the person I want to be but I've got no talents I can't do anything um and Amanda's a really strong advocate of playing the ukulele and I started to learn that and I started playing music in the cues um and like entertaining people that way and then we started having, um, this is one hell of a tangent, but it's going somewhere really good, I guess. Yeah, I, I like it. <laughs> we had, like, this, um, this big, um, culture of, of having bands come to play at my friend Mike and Sue's house. And, um, we had, we had, like, we had Amanda Palmer, we had, um... Wow. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was a, a massive organised I mean, thing. I know she did things where she played in people's It was the houses. kick, yeah, right, the right, kickstarter. Right, right, right. Um, uh, my, but it's uh, still, still, it doesn't matter if she, like, was the one who, like, was offering that to people. You had that, like, you well, had her in your house. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it was quite <laughs> funny. We had this group of us that were like, we should club together and, and get a, and get a, get a kickstarter party and work it all out. And then, uh, um, this wonderful, wonderful lady, um, called Julia, um, was just like, well, I'm actually having one already. Do you guys just want to come to mine? <laughs> and it then ended up at being at Mike and Sue's, and wow. and Julia was just amazing about the whole thing, and and she had a lovely time with Amanda, and it was just such a surreal experience of of seeing Amanda in a back garden of someone's house, and it spawned this this house party tradition, and we had like um, Bitter Ruin, who are an amazing cabaret duo who are no longer um, making music together from Brighton, but they're again a really heavily 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 inspired um, addiction. Um, and eventually it got to the point where 
we had a fairly big group of us who were doing the, 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 the touring with Amanda and it became not just Amanda but other cabaret artists we met along the way. There was um, a fantastic duo called Dirok and Puncta, um, who are from Australia but their characters are from Berlin and um, they're amazing. Check them out, they're really cool. Um, and uh, we would go and see their gigs and we would go to see a bit of rowing gigs and, um, and we, we gathered this group of people and we kind of said like we're always the ones going to concerts. Like, why don't we have a house party where we are the acts? And and, and, and everyone just really... Because I thought I'd have to kind of persuade people, but everyone was so on board with it. Like, I'd just started doing drag at that point. Um, I just started playing with makeup, essentially, and, and, and playing with face paints after... It, it, it was more... It wasn't so much a conscious decision to start doing drag, but it was more, let's dress up in a different way. Right. I looked at Joe Black because... His his character now is very um, what would appear to be a, 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 a very fucked up drag queen. Um, but I don't believe they actually identify as a drag queen. I think um, they prefer the I think they prefer the term transvestite, but um, I'm not in I wouldn't quote me on that one. Um, but they they meddle with gender quite a lot and they're stunning. But when I first met them they were very male presented but still meddled with gender and very much um, lots of makeup, lots of dark aesthetic, and bloody gorgeous as well. <laughs> and so, um, oh, now I'm distracted. No, uh, <laughs> where was I again? No. Um, so we we were doing. So I I wanted to take my aesthetic more in that direction. So that's when the the gender um, gender fuckery started coming into my aesthetic, and eventually we organised this party. And bearing in mind, this group of people who go to all these different events and um, always are the ones watching from the crowd. And we had me do drag for the first time. I did Look Mummy No Hands by Amanda Palmer because it is the most sad, haunting, depressing, creepy song. It's a very slow song on the piano. It's like, almost like a nursery rhyme. Yeah. yeah um, and it basically, it's a, a story about a, a, a young girl who is falling out with her mother and it goes through three phases of looking back to when she was at the fair having a really nice time and then when they went through that angsty phase and they hated them and they just wanted them gone and, and I did a very similar thing with my mother when I was going through my... I think I was still going through my angsty phase, to be honest, but <laughs> my, my rebellious teenage years. Um, and it ends with their mother not being there anymore and them wishing that they still were close. And, and it's a really sad song. And I was like, that's the song I'm going to do. <laughs> that's what I relate with. Um, and I made people cry and it was beautiful. So we had, we had me doing drag. We had a friend of mine who is like an amazing uh, flute player. Um, and they were incredible uh, we had a friend who does, like, circus skills, they're doing juggling. Um, Sue did um, some storytelling, actually, some poetry readings. Um, and I also read some poetry. Um, a friend of mine, Hannah, she was like, I'm going to do some emo, angsty poetry and I'm finally going to read it to people. And she, she, she wrote this poem about this worm and it was so incredibly emo, but also the way she presented it was really beautiful. And I think, I think it was meant as a joke, but she made this beautiful thing and, and it was it was incredible. And from there I was like, I need to do this more. I like I, I need to I, I wanna be the person who's at the gig as opposed to the person watching the gig. Um You are the media, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is an, an Amanda Palmer reference for people <laughs> who don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I met my I met my drag sister. 
and we went to London Pride, which is one of the stories that I tell at the at the Smut Slam. Right. And uh, we decided there was no, there wasn't a platform for us. So we made a platform. It right. was again the the very makeshift belief that Amanda instilled in me. Um, she does a lot of ninja gigs where she'll just be like. I'm going to be here and I'm going to do something or does anyone have a space that I can do yeah, something and right, people can come right, to right. Um, so we were just like well let's make our platform then if, if there's not one that exists we'll make one so right. we we ran a drag show at a golf club in Southampton we then went on to do a fundraiser for the Crew Alternative in Brighton after Brighton Pride which was really successful that was a year ago and from that we started our Night Bitter Sour Presents and it just became this whole thing of we like the drag that I do isn't exactly um, doesn't exactly have a space so much, so we created our space. Right, that's and the that way was to do it. Amanda's fault. Yeah, well, <laughs> that mean, was her fault. Well, I mean, a, a good thing for her to like, you know, to be at fault for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've always f- had to create my my spaces, my platforms as well, so I can totally relate to that stuff. So it's been a real pleasure, like getting better acquainted with you, like. Uh, yeah, I feel like I, I I could I could I could carry on like listening, to you, <laughs> uh, talking like all, all all day all night, um, but that's probably a bad idea for the listeners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the last question I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Um, and I guess you're start, starting to touch on some of that at the, at the end there anyway. But yeah, um, yeah. So I have I have a night called Bitter Sour Presents, which I run with my sister Cherry Fakewell. Um, and that is a bi-monthly drag night in Brighton and it's it's showcasing the kind of drag which you want to perform or that, that the queens want to perform but they don't feel like they've got a space to do it so we we just promote weird drag and we it started off as a goth thing but it's now just weird so we've got a Christmas show coming up which is like, because I can't stand Christmas, so it's called Jingle Hell. And it's a traditional Victorian <laughs> Christmas Eve of ghost stories told through drag, Sounds but great. with a mixture of camp debauchery in it. So it, it's it's great fun. Um, When's that? And th- that one is on the, the 9th of December. Um, but... I don't, but we we run the show bi monthly, so that's bitter sour presents. I also have started running a show called the Tuck Shop, um, which is. Uh, well, it's whatever I want it to be, really. <laughs> um, it's this this um, the one that is going to be running. Um, it's actually running next week, so I, I it'll probably be been, been and gone by the time. Will this come out? This will probably come out next Wednesday, I think. Oh yeah, no, this is on Saturday. So, but the, but the the tuck shop again. It's another. It's in Brighton. It's at the Carolina Brunswick, which is the same as Bitter Sour. Um, and the theme for this month, and I think I'm probably going to make like a bi-monthly theme or like every other show, it's called Backup. Um, so basically the performers come out, and it's actually really heavily inspired by Smart Slam. Um, the performers come out, they start doing whatever it is that they do. So if they're a singer, they start singing. If they're a burlesque performer, they start doing burlesque. If they're a drag queen, they start, or they're a lip syncer, they start lip syncing. And then at some point, I get the pleasure of cutting their track and they have to find their backup. And it's a it's a question wow, of that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, it's a question of do they carry on doing whatever they were doing but without their music? Do they sing a cappella? Do they carry on lip syncing? Like if it's a really popular song, like everyone's gonna know what it is. Or right. or do they do they carry on with their burlesque routine without the music? Or do they find something in them that they didn't that they haven't done on stage that's before? Really like do they have a hidden talent or something? And it, it came from the idea that 
in the Smart Slam when I was telling stories, I loved it so much. And I was like, I want to do more of this. There's not really a space for me to do it, like, in in my in my own drag so I'm going to create a, a, a space to do it for yeah. for drag and, and that's all thanks to it was a wonderful idea from like that came from Smart Sam because um, I was I, I'm my thing that I'm going to do is, when my track cuts is tell just tell a story and take away the 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 props and the and the uh, the music and all the elements that I use to tell the story when I'm doing my drag and just tell the story brilliant so yeah, and that and sounds like it's going to be a really exciting night. I'm I'm idea. so excited for the burlesque performer because I can't wait to see what she does. Um, it's going to be really exciting. So I that should be and that yeah that's the talk shop that should be quite cool. So they're they've both got groups on social media. So um, if people search the talk shop and Bitter Sour presents or just me Count Addiction, um, and I'm on most social media. Um, so yeah, that's me. Yeah, and then and the next. It's quite useful because I can say this now, or no, I'd have to record an extra bit at the end. But the next Smart Slam is on the 13th of December at the Doug Star in Brixton. Uh, the theme for that one is Jingles and Tingles. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, you'll be along as the Bucket Babe. I'm like, sure I will. Although, who knows? Um, sometimes things come up, but I, you're certainly very welcome to do that. And uh, I also hate Christmas. So, oh, uh, wonderful. So, so, so well, we'll see how it goes. My favourite thing I ever did for Christmas for a Christmas thing was the I used to do a show a cabaret show uh, called Stand Up Tragedy uh, which had kind of like, cabaret is not exactly fair and it had lots of different people from different parts of the art but I mean the arts but it was cabaret in in in, in in its heart yeah. Uh, but we did a, a night called Tragic Christmas where I kind of compared the evening with my worst uh, Christmas experiences in between some songs and some and it was the most it was the, probably the night out of all of the stand-up tragedy nights that hit the tragedy like, <laughs> solidly that sounds um, like my perfect it was, like, it was, ent- night of entertainment it was a great night like, entertainment doesn't always have to be funny and I've always stood up and said if I make you cry right. but I draw you in and amuse you that's still entertaining. I mean, I like to do both. That's the thing. I like yeah. to make people laugh and cry. Like the tagline for Standard Tragedy was "Cry until you laugh, laugh until you cry." Right? Yeah. And I think th- those are the yeah the extremes of what I like. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, um, the last thing that I ask my guests to do uh, is to say goodbye to the audience. Thank you for listening to me waffle on, and but yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah, it's been great. Bye, everybody. Bye. So if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then you might be interested in my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can listen to for free as a podcast. And you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that I put together. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can look for Stand Up Tragedy on iTunes and listen to the most recent podcast, which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again, a little bit about masculinity, then check out my essay series, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, 
the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can follow getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can like getting better acquainted on facebook and you can find getting better acquainted on itunes soundcloud those kind of places But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.